there's a lot of options out there for marketing and for getting the word out there. But to me, nothing right now is more powerful than podcasting. Kind of our idea behind the app was to give parents a tool that they could use wherever they are 24 seven. There's so many people sitting around on the internet playing on the consumer ignorance. I'm sorry to say that, but it's full of marketing gimmicks and bad wine. We don't want to be compared to that. Welcome listeners. This is Passage to Profit, The Inventor Show with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart with Kenya Gibson of iHeartMedia taking Richard's co-host spot today because he is on vacation. And you've just heard some snippets of what the show is going to be about. So stay tuned for the whole show. We have amazing guests on here today. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special co-host today, Kenya Gibson, taking Richard's spot. Hey, Kenya. Hi, Elizabeth. How's it going? Good. I love the people we have on here today. I know. We're going to be talking all about our favorite things, wine, podcasting, and calming down kids. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so Kenya covered it in heartbeat. So yeah, our guest is Alex Sanfilippo, who has Podmatch. And he's really working hard bringing podcasters and guests together, which is awesome because Passage to Profit has availed itself of his site many, many times. And we have Christy and John Kappa who have an app for kids to help them calm themselves down. So I have a lot of questions about that. Can adults use it too? <laughs> and, then, um, and then we have Nicholas Menderat, who is a wine guy and helps you find the perfect wine for you. So I'm like, how could we go wrong with this lineup? <laughs> So we should start with IP in the news. So I did find what I thought was a very interesting article. It's a patent application, which means it hasn't issued as a patent yet. It still has to go through the patent offices. It was filed in Europe and in the US and I think China by Ferrari. And it is a new style of air conditioning where they must be using artificial intelligence somehow for this, I think. But this is just blowing me away because it can tell what gender you are. It can tell different temperatures in different parts of the car. It can tell your body temperature. It can tell your shape and probably your weight. Like maybe it can even tell how much you're sweating. I don't know what else can That's do. so interesting. I wonder if like if you're a woman, can it tell you're going through menopause and you're having a hot flash? Is that like what the whole... Well, it can tell the temperature. (laughs) It's used to determine the direction, circulation and temperature of the airflow. So it's just an application now, but I think they'll get a patent on it. I didn't read the whole thing because I'm sure it does a deep dive into technical components, but that just blew me away. Yeah, it's cool. It's very cool. I guess that's the next phase of cars. Like, what can't they do now, right? Or what can't they tell us about ourselves? I know. But if they patent it, that's kind of too bad because that'll mean the other car companies can't use it or they'll have to come up with a different system, right? Right. But then that's another reason for all of us to go out and buy a Ferrari next time. (laughs) So we usually call this Richard's Roundtable. So we'll just call it the Roundtable. Alex, do you have any comments on that, on what you just heard? Yeah, I was just thinking the whole time, why don't we just go back to the old thing called a mood ring? Like, isn't it going to do the the same thing, basically, right? Why get a patent on all that? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, No, it's very interesting. I mean, Ferrari's always kind of top of line with innovation when it comes to the engine of vehicles. Like, I, I love cars. I'm not like a super into car type of guy, but I really enjoy seeing the technology. I never thought Ferrari would do something like that. Like, I actually don't even see the reason necessarily. I'm more used to them being like, look at this huge performance upgrade that we got. So an interesting thing for sure, but I would stick with the mood ring if we want to know when it's that time of month, I suppose. Actually, that's a great idea. What if it was like kind of like uh, calibrated to music? So you got in the car and the car could tell you what kind of mood you were in and then based on that mood like the music kind of calibrated up and that could be kind of cool so i like that Ooh, kenya write that down <laughs> i'm writing it down and i'm patenting it through Gearheart law <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, okay so christy and john do you have any thoughts on this yeah take that mood ring and, and incorporate that into the steering wheel there and uh you know now you have actual contact but no i think that's really interesting about ferrari going with interior design and interior patents and innovation because I, I do think of them as more of a performance vehicle right and you're looking at the styling and it's going to be you know beautiful inside now but yeah i mean it is kind of surprising in a way that car companies are looking at stuff like this. But then when you think of it, it does kind of make sense. And it's great that they're protecting their intellectual property. So did you want to say anything, Christy? Well, we live up in Oregon, so I'm freezing all the time. (laughs) So I'm hearing this air conditioning and I'm thinking, what about heat? Are they doing anything with the same technology with heating as well? I'm not 
not sure. You know what? But I imagine it would work for heating, right? Where in Oregon are you? We're in Portland. Most of the year we turn the car on and then wait for it to heat up before you get inside. (laughs) So that's, that's usually the problem that we're having is the car is too cold. So I'm thinking, hmm, I would love if it could, you know, if we had a car that could actually heat it up perfectly for me. All these ideas for Ferrari. I hope they're listening, (laughs) but I kind of doubt it. They really should be. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just thought about a car that my, my wife had for a while, but we got her like a nice Cadillac SUV and it had a heating steering wheel. Now, now we live in Jacksonville, Florida, where it never gets cold, but she says her hands are always cold and she loved mm-hmm. that. But to me, like when I heard that a car had a heating steering wheel, I'm like, that's, that sounds really not needed, not necessary until one winter day I got in the car and turned it on. I was like, wow, I needed this my whole life. So who knows for, I might set the new standard for that. <laughs> So, so Nicholas, what do you think? I think it's interesting. The car industry was always at the forefront of innovation, particularly at the early uh, days. And then it kind of got lost during many decades where the innovation was only designed, basically. And now in recent years, the car industry is like really back into the innovation cycle with autonomous vehicles and using a lot of data, obviously. And so that's a very good example. But then on the picture, the patent as it is, it's, you know, it reminds us again that, you know, every time there's progress like that, it can be so helpful at the same time. It's a little bit scary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, those were all great thoughts. Thank you, everybody. We're going to go to our first break now. You are listening to Passage to Profit, the Inventor Show on WORC. 710, and we will be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Now it is time for Kenya and myself to interview our guest, who we have really been looking forward to talking to. Alex Sanfilippo started Podmatch, and what a great idea. Honestly, Passage to Profit has used his site numerous times to find guests for our show. So if you have a show or you want to be on a show... This is where everybody's going now. So he grew it quickly and I don't need to say any more. We need to hear from Alex. So welcome, Alex. Elizabeth, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. So what gave you the idea and how did you get started and how did you grow it so fast? Seriously. Yeah. So first off, I've been in podcasting as a host for a few years now. So I built a little bit of a name for myself in podcasting. I'm not like one of the, the big dogs in podcasting. Like I'm, I'm not on the Joe Rogan level or anything like that, right? But uh, enough that I was actually starting to travel around and speak at conferences. And while I was at these conferences, I just started asking other podcasters what they were struggling with in the podcasting space. And I consistently heard time and time again, I'm having a hard time finding the right guest for my show. And key words there were the right guest. Like we all have a cousin and a best friend that'll come on the show multiple times, right? And many of us didn't we get started, but it's just, it, it doesn't work long-term and it causes many people to stop, I realized. So I decided that, man, there needs to be some other solution out there. Because at the same time, my friends that own companies, they would be great guests. So I found myself even matching people together. And so it, it kind of hit me one day. I just decided, you know what? What if we had something that was kind of like an online dating app, but instead of matching people for dates, we match them for podcast interviews. And that's where the idea really came from. From there, we just really started to run with it. That's excellent. We do get a lot of people from it, but we have an assistant who handles all of that. So is there some sort of screening process for people to be on your site? Yes. So on the host side, there is some limitations as far as who can register. If you just started your podcast and it's like day one, we put you like on a waiting list until you have a certain number of episodes and been live for a certain amount of time. The reason we do that is because we found that it's called the pod fade line in podcasting. So most podcasters, I think it's like 90, it's, it's over 90% of people don't make it past seven episodes within their first 90 days. So what we do is we decided you have to have more than seven episodes and been live for more than 90 days because what we didn't want to have happen is great guests show up 
and they're ready to get on a podcast and the person cancels the show before they even record or before the episode goes live. So we kind of built that in on the guest side. The application you fill out is building your profile and also helping you get matched. But we made it quite involved intentionally. It takes about 10 minutes to sign up for Podmatch. And that's very against conventional wisdom, which says make it really fast for people to get on your platform and ask for more information later. We asked for it all up front because we found that it brings a really high quality of podcast guest and they've got really great complete profiles so that podcast hosts can see them and match with them really easily. So Alex, I just wanted to back it up for one second here. Why is podcasting important to brands right now? There's a lot of options out there for marketing and for getting the word out there. But to me, nothing right now is more powerful than podcasting. Many of us can't do stuff in person today, right? Like it's in-person conferences aren't really an option. This is the closest thing to having rows of people in seats listening to you. If you're posting on social media, although it's a great thing to do and sharing there, you're really fighting for someone not to scroll past whatever you have at this point, right? Like someone might even like it and scroll right past it. If someone's listening to you on a podcast as a guest or a host, it's like having someone sitting in a seat listening to you. And if there's one thing we know about people, they like to do business with who they know, like, and trust. And having being on a podcast really helps establish that know, like, and trust with somebody because you're listening to them for more than just five seconds that maybe you're using to scroll past them. So to me, it's really the primary way that you can get education out there and raise awareness to people that really are, I believe, your ideal client, customer, or member, whatever it might be. Yeah, that's interesting because I'm going to go to this seminar online, of course, next week called The Future of Voice. And it's hinting at, it's teasing us by saying that Google is going to put in a voice platform. So I think podcasting, especially during the pandemic, just really took off and it's grown into this big monster now. I think there was something like over 100,000 new podcasts started in June alone. And from there, it just really took off. The stats started coming back. And now it's actually really something's really cool the rate of listenership is growing faster than the number of new podcasts being started. So more and more people listen on a weekly, daily, monthly basis than new shows getting started. So for when people are like, is there still opportunity there? Because there are a lot of shows, yes. But there is plenty of opportunity because the listenership is growing faster than the amount of shows that are available. That's interesting. So you bring up a good point about just kind of this whole era of podcasting. Do you think podcasting's here to stay or is it going to be like this fad? Because I think of podcasting as an extension of radio. Like we've been doing this in radio a long time as far as long form content. We just kind of got caught in the weeds with adding a bunch of music to talk. So I just want to get your opinion on that. Yeah. You know, I, I like to think it is. I mean, I definitely can't tell the future, but we've had apps like Clubhouse and now Fireside, which are these little audio platforms where people can kind of jump in and chat. And when those things first started, they really started coming on the radar about eight months ago, nine months ago. It was like when they just blew up and everyone was like, this is going to hurt podcasting. But when you look at the analytics behind it, we actually saw that that helped podcasting. Like my show was growing because I was going in rooms on Clubhouse and Fireside and talking there. More people wanted to hear the content. So things like that, that people thought like, oh, this is a direct competitor for podcasting ended up not being the case. So my thoughts about it are that it's growing. And another thing, if I got one more thing to that, it's that we're looking at how Google is allowing people now to search through audio. So it's, it's still very early, but if you ever type in something in Google, sometimes they'll show a video that's on YouTube or something like that, and it'll put you right to the part where they're talking about what you searched for. And that's starting to show up with podcast episodes as well. Plus, if you use the Apple Podcast app or Spotify, now you can search for topic. So it's not just host name and show name. It's also what are the different topics that are being discussed in individual podcasting episodes. So for me, we're seeing it starting to become a normal form of search. So I think that podcasting is here for a while. And a while to me means five years. And at that point, you'll have to ask me again, Coach Kenya, because I, I don't know after that. But yeah, I'd say for at least the next five years, it's really going to be on the rise. So how does an entrepreneur who has a brand, because you said that you've worked with people that have brands but need to elevate their brands, how do they use a podcast or start a podcast to really get their brand out there? There are so many resources, Elizabeth, out there for helping people start a podcast. So I'm not going to jump into that. But if you just Google how to start a podcast... I mean, there are now thousands of guides that literally these people will like hold your hand and walk you through it and they don't even cost anything. So like learning to launch a podcast has become very easy. When three years ago when I did it, it was like you had no idea what you were doing. That's how much the industry's already changed and gotten better. But so I recommend, yes, get a podcast launcher. At the very least, start being a guest on some shows to get some experience, get an expensive mic and, and go ahead and get started. Most computers actually have good built-in mics now. But when you start a podcast, if you really want to succeed with it, you have to have a sole focus with it. 
So the days of general podcasts don't really work anymore. So it can't be about your dog and about your business and about your favorite activities and whatever else you like to do. Like it's got to be focused on whatever it is that you're doing and trying to grow. And everything's got to be specifically for that. Now, I don't mean that you talk about the same thing every day or every week, however often you post episodes, but it's got to always be directed in some way, shape or form to help that ideal podcast listener who's saying this would be a great client for me. Yeah. Well, when we started Passage to Profit three years ago in 2018, it was Kenya's idea. She approached us, but no law firms are really doing radio shows on talk radio, especially. And it was such an out of the box idea. I didn't think Richard would go for it because the money came from the law firm, but he did. And because it was something new, it's marketing and fun. And now three years later, it's like we've had this going for three years and we're getting amazing guests and amazing presenters and other law firms are now doing it, starting to at least. So I think it's just the way things are now. And a hundred plus episodes. She left that out. That's oh, yes. oh, wow. yeah, that's a lot. You yeah. know, 90% of people who start a podcast and get past that pod fade line of seven episodes. So 90% of people after that don't make it to one year. Uh, which is 52 episodes. So just imagine one a week. So there's a 90% failure rate in the first year of podcasting if you get past the first seven days or seven episodes, which is over 90%. So yeah, not a lot of people make it in podcasting, but the name of the game is consistency. And you guys clearly have that. I mean, if it's three years over 100 episodes, that's what makes a podcast stand out as someone who has a focus and stays there consistently showing up for their audience and their listeners. Yeah. Well, I have to say iHeart helped us a lot because we were going into the studio every Wednesday for the first couple of years. And that was a lot of work, but it made us be consistent, like you said. And then when COVID hit, we tried doing one, but our audio wasn't good enough. So we had to scramble and figure out how to get good audio for ourselves and everybody else that we're going to be on the show. And we've been able to keep it going through quarantine by using Zoom, which has gotten us guests all over the place, like Oregon and in Florida. And I mean, we've had people from Canada, we've had somebody from Australia. So that's opened us up. And honestly, I don't know if we're going to go back to doing it full time in the studio, just because people had to figure this out. And they did, right? Yeah, you know, and actually, just a year ago, or I guess it's been a year and a half now, I don't even remember how long it's been since COVID started, it feels like a lifetime. But anyway, whenever that all started, the world was getting more and more directed toward really highly polished audio especially like they wanted to hear like the NPRs of the world or the the wandering so these big podcasts that have massive studios behind it people wanted to hear that but then with covid 20% of listeners dropped off when they came back people started actually commenting on the fact that they liked the humanizing in it like they actually felt more human when they could hear a kid screaming in the background or <laughs> when they could tell that hey this person's just at home you can hear the, the lawn outside the birds people actually started liking that and those are the shows that started growing a lot so for many of us there's no reason to go back to that old way which i actually like because it seems a little bit more authentic but it makes sense. People were alone and they wanted to feel like they were involved in somebody's life, not a big production. If they want a big production, they'll listen to the wanderings of the world or the NPRs or watch something on TV, right? They wanted to feel like they're actually with somebody having an experience. So for many people, going back isn't as necessary as it once was. So I think one of your main takeaways, and this is true for social media, this is true for any type of advertising, PR, promotion stuff that you do, is you have to commit and be consistent. So for anybody listening out there that wants to start a podcast, start it in an area that you know really well that your business is in, that you can talk a lot about or have a lot of guests talk about and commit to the first year. Like the first year we kind of struggled because we weren't sure we had that many listeners and stuff, but it's like starting a new business almost. You're not going to sell a million divots the first day you're in business, right? Yeah. I think that many people, we just, we look at the bigger podcast and assume that that's going to be us in no time at all. But the truth is, if you could see the journey some of these people went on, like they've arrived. Yeah. But what we're doing is we're comparing our day one to their year 10, some of them. There's some great podcasters out there who, when I started, I wanted to be like them. They've been podcasting 12 years longer than I have. They had 12 years of consistency ahead of me. I can't expect to get there. So yeah, for people, commit to one year. That's exactly what I did, Elizabeth. I'm glad you mentioned that timeline. I committed to one year and saying, okay, I'm going to do this every week for one year. I told my friends, I told the people who were listening. I didn't say I was going to stop after a year, but I told them I'd be here every week. And in my mind, I was like, it's one year. And when I hit the one year mark, I had that moment where I was like, okay, am I going to keep on doing this? And I just knew, yes. I mean, even though I didn't have like a ton of people listening, let's just imagine it was hundred people a week. That's like hundred people sitting in chairs every week waiting for me to show up. If you have that mindset about podcasting, you're never going to stop. Even if it's only 10 or 20 people, you're going to show up for that audience every chance you get. 
I think that another thing is don't worry too much about what you think other people are going to think, because quite honestly, Gearheart Law, which is patents, trademarks, copyrights, as you know, was very active in the entrepreneurial community in Northern New Jersey and some in New York. And the people that we knew in Northern New Jersey were like, you guys are insane. <laughs> they were like, and what here you, you are. A hundred episodes later. They're like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? Like, how did you get on WOR? And I was like, ah, connections. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And there were a lot of naysayers that said, don't spend the money because this is paid programming for us. They said, don't spend the money. You should go spend it on other types of marketing. And they like were really mad at us, but we wanted to do it. It was fun. And I do think podcasting is fun. And I think you were way ahead of the curve, right? Like, so three years ago, people were dabbling in podcasting, but it's nothing like it is now. I mean, three years ago, you were really looking at the Joe Rogans of the world and and you were like, oh, that's a podcast, right? Now it's like everybody's doing a podcast, but are, are they doing a podcast well, which is where I think Alex comes in, in terms of like how to get it really to work for your brand. And, you know, even for the firm, you all have gotten it to work in terms of like, lead generation for yourselves and branding. And so there's all these things that you can use a podcast for other than, you know, kind of your front facing, like, here's my business card, here's my website type of deal. Coach Kenny, you just said something really key there I want to hone in on. And it's how and why are using a podcast? Like, yeah, do a good job, find the focus. But let me give a real life example. I recently wanted to start getting into some SMS marketing. So text message marketing, I, I had no experience with it at all. So I found three companies through probably 45 minutes of research online. They all look good. My next step was to actually go to Apple Podcast and type in SMS marketing to see if I can find any of those companies. And what do you know, out of those three companies, one of them had a marketing team that was actually jumping on podcasts to explain how to succeed with SMS marketing. They had their own show and they were on other podcasts. I listened to a few of those episodes, learned a lot, went to the website and actually signed up for their service. And get this, it was the most expensive of the three options. But I went to it because I felt like I could now know, like, and trust these individuals because they took some time to, to devote to me. They gave me free information on how to actually succeed with a product, even though they didn't even specifically talk about theirs. They just talked about how I could, could succeed. That's who I wanted to work with. I think that many people are going to find with their businesses, that's the direction this thing is going in. I think it gives you an opportunity for what I kind of call it in my own head, like soft touch marketing. So we can say Gearheart Law sponsors Passage to Profit. And we can talk about intellectual property and we can talk to people about inventions, et cetera, and trademarking their business and stuff without like hitting them over the head with a hammer and saying, come get a patent from Gearheart Law right now, you know? And so it gives you a way to promote your business in a very soft way by not talking so much about your business, but talking about things around the edges. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. I, I read this book one time. It's actually read it a lot. Actually, it's by uh, Jeffrey Gittimer. It's called The Little Red Book of Selling. And he's got a really great quote in there called when people talk about you, it's the truth. Right. And when you talk about yourself, it's bragging or it might be the other way around. When you're bra- when you're talking about your business, it's bragging what other people talking about. It, it's the truth. Right. So it's exactly what you just said, Elizabeth. Right. Like this is a way to be the expert without telling everybody like, hey, I'm the expert. You're providing valuable information. People are learning something and then they come to you because they know you know what you're talking about. And I think everybody can use a podcast that way. And I think people want to learn. Like I'm constantly learning new stuff. Like I'm constantly looking like I'm going to this future of voice. I want to learn what's going on in the world. And podcasts are a way, I think, to help you stay plugged in. And the nice thing about them is you can listen to them in your car. Like that's when I mostly listen to podcasts. Like we're going to drive down to Maryland and we're going to listen to podcasts the whole time. It's fun. It's like car karaoke. (laughs) Yeah, that's what that's what I like about podcasting actually is like I I first started listening while I was in the gym. That was the first place I started listening to podcasts and fell in love with it. That's kind of what made me decide to get into is just I was like, this is so cool. I want to I want part of this. This seems really fun. But yeah, you can be cleaning your house, listening to podcasts. I mean, it's just easy. I know YouTube has its place as well, but you can't always be watching a video, uh, hopefully while you're driving, although I have seen some of that, unfortunately, but (laughs) podcasting is ideal for while you're driving. I actually saw somebody playing the violin while they were driving once. What? No. You've got to be kidding me. (laughs) So you mentioned Clubhouse and Fireside and I, I'm going to probably have to talk to Mark Cuban at some point because my startup is Fireside Directory. So 
he and I might have a little tussle. I don't know. I applied for my trademark <laughs> a while ago. <laughs> so hopefully I applied for my trademark. I probably shouldn't say that. He might try to oppose it. But anyway, what do you see as the future of Clubhouse and Fireside? Because I've been on Clubhouse and I was doing it in the mornings and I kind of got burned out. You know, so many things we did during quarantine, I think we got burned out on after a while. But I'm thinking, you know, I talked to somebody who said, oh, it's alive and well and growing, so you should go back to it. So what do you think? I'm not the biggest believer in these platforms. I'm on them. I actually help lead one of the largest communities or whatever they call it now. They changed the name of whatever it is, but like oh. basically one of the groups within that or clubs is what they change it to. Anyway, so like I'm one of the leaders of one of the largest ones in there. So I've been able to kind of see the stats and there was a bit of a dip and I'm not saying that's still happening. But I kind of burn out on it. It just felt very repetitive. Like maybe it wasn't the same people in the rooms every week because sometimes I have rooms with hundreds of people in them. But I just felt like the questions just kept on coming. It turned into what felt like a job versus something that I really enjoyed doing. And that's what made me kind of take a step back. Some people love it. Like I know people who spend eight hours a day on there. I don't know how they make money. I don't know what they're doing outside of it, but they're spending a lot of time there. So I don't see it lasting as long as podcasting does. I do see it being a bit of, a, of like a fad and a phase. I could be totally wrong on that. That's just my personal thought on it, though. Unfortunately, we have come to the end of our time for this segment, although I thought this was a fantastic discussion. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. We're going to take a break. Passage to Profit, the Inventor Show on WOR 710. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Richard on vacation, Kenya Gibson filling in for him from iHeart. And we have just had an incredible discussion with Alex Sanfilippo about podcasting and how you can start your own. If you missed it, well, the radio show is going to be a podcast tomorrow. So listen to our podcast if you missed the radio show. But now we are on to our next segment, which is Kenya's power move. And she's got somebody really incredible to talk about today. So hey, Kenya. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate co-hosting with you. For power move today, we're going to talk about Robin Fenty, better known as Rihanna, who has officially reached billionaire status. Yay. So the Barbados-born singer, she's an actress, she's an entrepreneur. She's now worth $1.7 billion, according to Forbes. So, you know, she started off in music and now she's making beauty products and she's actually one of the wealthiest female entertainers besides Oprah Winfrey. So what a power move. Wow. What's she making her money with? Is it her beauty products? Yeah. So it's Fenty Beauty. And basically, you know, it's makeup, it's skincare, and it's all the things, you know, you need to look like Rihanna or at least try to, right? <laughs> and she's, she's doing wonderful with it. You know, it's funny because I know a few years ago it came out as a brand and I wasn't as familiar and now I mean, I see it everywhere and it's actually, I saw some reviews. It's really, really, really good products. So super excited for her. And, you know, if it helps you make $1.7 billion, you kind of can't lose. Well, I think it points out that entrepreneurs can be wildly successful. And so anybody listening that's thinking of starting their own thing, I don't know that any of us will get to that much money, but you can get a little ways and it's better to try then not try at all and be on your deathbed and saying, gosh, I wish I would have launched that makeup. <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. Good for her. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about my startup, which is called Fireside Directory. I'm working on the patent application for some ideas related to it right now. But what it is, is it's a video directory of small businesses and small business owners. 
And I started it right before the pandemic hit. And the idea was to get people on video who weren't comfortable by interviewing them with like a fireside chat type of format. So they could answer questions to me instead of talking into a camera about their business. Well, it was a struggle because nobody wanted to come into my video studio with my videographer and they were all pretty intimidated. So then when COVID struck, nobody could do much. So I managed to get like over a hundred video interviews done (laughs) during quarantine because people were anxious to talk about their businesses and they were fine with recording on zoom. And honestly, I don't know that I do need to go into the studio because these, these videos, they're not supposed to be super highly produced. They're supposed to be highlighting the person's authenticity as a business owner. And I'm trying to get my website redone now. And there's a couple apps that I want to have made with it. So right now I'm not doing a lot of interviews right now. I'm working on the back end of things, the tech part, but I'm still working on it. And I'm pretty excited about it. Cause I, I think that with everything that's going on, I think there's a place for it in the world. And I think people will use it when they see my final product, which is different than anything else that's out there, which is part of the reason I'm having trouble with the website because there's nothing exactly like it out there. And it's hard to find a website designer who actually gets what I'm trying to do. But I think I do have one now that understands. And Elizabeth, I love what you're doing with your platform because it really gives people an inside look into the entrepreneur and it gets helps people learn about them before they have the opportunity to hire them which I think is very valuable. And I want it to be a true directory. Like we were talking before with Alex that since the invention of Twitter, people's attention spans have gone to zero. So I have short clips pulled out and then longer videos that people can watch, but you can get a a picture of the person in like 20 seconds. Anyway, I don't want to give away too much before I file my patent application on it. But yeah, so I'm still going with that and starting a company and building something is really tough, but I'm enjoying it. So now Kenya, who is our first presenter? So Elizabeth, we're going to be talking to Christy and John, is it Copa? Did I say that right? From Wonder Grade. So welcome to Passage to Profit. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So tell us about Wonder Grade. So Wonder Grade is a digital health and education company that John and I started pretty recently. And our vision is to help give kids tools to move through hard emotions and to self-regulate, build resilience and confidence, and essentially just find their calm. And our latest, our first kind of digital product that we launched recently is an app for parents. Yeah, absolutely. So the app centers around connecting with this character, Yog that we created. And purposefully, you cannot pin down what Yog is or you know how you're going to see this character kind of manifest. And we went through the creation of an animated mascot, right? And so we have short videos, animations, and audio clips that um, kids can listen to and go all the way from calming down before bedtime to movement breaks where you're running along or doing a surfing video. Yeah. And kind of our idea behind the app was to give parents a tool that they could use wherever they are 24 seven. And that was really inspired by the pandemic. When the pandemic hit and we we're all home, we John and I have two young kids, five and seven now. So um, at that time, we were in the same boat as every parent in the world where um, our kids were home and we didn't have access to those resources. We were trying to figure out a way that we could empower parents and families that were stuck at home um, to have these tools in their hand at all times. So that was kind of the inspiration behind creating an app versus doing live classes or any other platform that we kind of talked about. That's a lot and helpful to parents, I'm sure. Where do the kids access the app? Because they don't usually have phones at like five years old. (laughs) Well, maybe some of them do. (laughs) Yeah. So the idea behind the app is that some apps are really for kids, like, you know, like game that you would hand your child an iPad and they would play for a while. The idea behind the Wonder Aid app is that it's a really kind of interactive experience with the whole family. So the app would actually be on a parent's device. And then there's a lot of tools and teaching and assistance and guidance for parents and how to use these activities with their kids. So the parent would, if a kid is experiencing, you know, a meltdown or having a hard time sleeping or struggling with school. Today was our daughter's first day of school. So we, you know, went over some tools of what she's going to do if she's feeling nervous. The parent would use their device and they would kind of go over um, the activity together. Each activity is about one to five minutes. So they're really short. And then the child would kind of learn and internalize those tools later. And then the family would have these kind of joint language and joint tools that they could use later. So can it help a parent tame like a temper tantrum? Because I saw here it helps regulate big emotions. So I wanted to see what that meant. 
Yeah, so a lot of the, there, all the tools in there are very research-based on how to kind of downregulate the nervous system. So they're based off the science of how we can kind of get out of that fight or flight response and go back into um, a calm response. So, you know, we do that all the time. Adults can, are learning how to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm learning how to do that also. Yeah, I love that you're on the preventative end of things because I feel like, you know, as adults, we get into therapy and we're, you know, I'm, I've done uh, EMDR training or therapy before. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but like that's like post-traumatic, right? So I, what's interesting is like, I wonder if something was around like this when I was a kid, because it's like, I feel like I bit, would have, have had better coping skills and not had to undo so many traumatic things like later on in life. So I appreciate that you're doing this on the front end for kids. Absolutely. So where do people find this? What's your website or your app site? They can just search Wondergrade on both the app store and the Google Play store. And Wondergrade.com is our website. Wondergrade.com. It's available to anybody. You have a school version, but it's available to just any parent that really wants to use it. And they can even use it for themselves. (laughs) There's a whole parent section in the app actually, where she has meditations that she's created for the parents. And, you know, I find myself listening to it and as, as much as I can tell her, oh, I love it. It's fantastic. And it truly just blows my mind away when I, when I listen to these, the whole parent section is pretty fantastic as a resource there too. And that's now going to be free coming up in the next uh, version that we're releasing here this week. Yeah. So we have to go to break passage to profit the inventor show on WOR 710. And we will be right back after this message. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's the Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I am Kenya Gibson filling in for Richard, who was on vacation this week. And we are joined by one of our other presenters, Nicholas Mendrahat, founder of Palette Club. And Palette Club is a wine club. It offers ultra-personalized access to the world's most interesting wines. Nicholas, welcome to Passage to Profit. I hope I did not mess up your name too much. <laughs> Thanks, Kenya. Great being here. So tell us a little bit more about Palette. Yeah, it's a very modern version of uh, wine club. It's not your typical wine club. It's uh, the main thing we did differently is that we figure out your personal taste uh, in wine using AI, basically a lot of data science points. And then we ship wines according to that taste in discovery mode. Uh, and it's literally the IP changes actually and, and, and chooses among a lot of bottles. We use 200 traits and descriptors to do that and a lot of uh, curation and sommeliers. And it's, a, it's an entire process, which we're the only ones doing like that. Finally, a use for artificial intelligence I can really appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> This sounds totally awesome. Uh, Richard and I have been known to enjoy a little bit of wine now and then. And it's always fun to find new wines. But like our our local wine store, I asked the guy for a good wine and his taste is so different from mine. I really didn't like the wine he recommended. It was like, you know, $60, $70 bottle of wine. And I was like, I just, this isn't my palate. So I think what you're doing is awesome. Yeah, Elizabeth, this is exactly why I chose to to do that. There are many other reasons, actually. It starts with, you know, honing in a little bit in what Alex was saying with, you know, trying to match listeners with different podcasts where you have hundreds of thousands of them every month. Well, if you look at the numbers where we're talking about, there's 100,000 wineries in the world putting out a million new products every year and to a billion consumers who have all very different tastes. So I'd like to talk a little bit about where taste comes from, actually. So it's not just your tongue. It's about your the 400 receptors you have above your nose. 
And every human being has 30% different DNA there. And then it changes over time, of course, uh, your, your taste, depending what you've been exposed to. And so everybody's different, right? And so the problem is people, I mean, people sell wine, they don't know your taste. So if you Google like best wine for me, of course, you're not going to end up in anything like that. And most of the people think they know a little bit, don't really know that much either. You can, you know, when you do a blind tasting session, the, it's, there's a big humility factor since you usually come up with different sorts. So this is what we're trying to solve. Right. And I don't understand, like I never taste, well, I do taste smoke, but I never taste leather or violets or like, all those things that the really super tasters can taste in a wine. I just know what I like. Well, I will surprise you, but of course, some people will taste leather and others won't, right? And we are all very different and we're all super tasters in specific areas. And this is actually what we're doing with data science. So like we will figure that you like strong acidity with medium tannins, which are like basic things of wine, of course, but you like it much better if there's red fruit and you really like it even better if it's like black cherry or something, right? Uh, like, like the combination of that with structure, complexity and all other factors we don't necessarily show is where we figure it out. So that's, uh, of course, and it's applicable to other things like, like wine, but just for wine, it makes more sense because of the paradox of choice. So how does it work? Like, how do you figure out my palate profile? Like, what do you ask me? So the process is uh, very different from, again, a lot of marketing gimmicks you have online, such as quizzes and things, which, you know, people ask if you like dark chocolate and and, and milk, and then they... <laughs> They, they, they tell you your taste. That's not what we do. And that's uh, absolutely uh, BS in, in our world. So what we do is we enter about 25 to 30 different traits of every bottle we ship to you. And it starts with a tasting kit of four half bottles, which is uh, chosen specifically uh, so that, you know, we can combine as many tastes as possible. The only thing you have to do, and they come wrapped with a tissue, by the way, uh, from one to five. So you don't know if it's Napa, Bordeaux, or whatever else. And so you have a kit for white and a kit for red. And so it's a really nice thing to do with friends. Uh, we have like you know, hundreds of, of, of tastings done like that. And people just have to rate from one to five. And that gives, gives us enough data with four half bottles to start your profile. It doesn't mean we know everything about you, but we basically come up with a preliminary profile. We show you the traits. We show you the, your main taste cluster. We have divided the world a little bit in clusters. And we show you also the best matches to classical wines in the world. It's I'm definitely to- doing this. I am definitely doing this. <laughs> so, Alex, did you have a question? I have a bunch of questions, Nicholas, like a lot of them. But um, first off, this is really cool. My initial question is the AI side of things, because what we do is similar from regard of a technology standpoint, it seems very different, obviously, application at the end of the day. How did you start to hone in on what mattered when it comes to the AI? Like, because it has to be fed something to learn, right? Like, how did you start to hone in on what the most important elements were? Well, that is a little bit linked to what I did before, a lot of e-commerce and passion for wine. So I actually put together in a room uh, wine experts from France and California and with uh, data scientists, or like the mathematician types. So those who kind of create models, right? And both of them, it was a very weird moment because I think this is the, the type of interactions where actually value is happening because the sommeliers, the wine experts didn't know anything which you can do with data science. And the, obviously the mathematicians didn't know anything about wine. So basically when they figured out that actually the, those two worlds were very complex and you could do a lot of things, uh, we started to design a first model and using you know a lot of things which are well known. And then the second step was, of course, learning on the way. So we had a lot of iterations already 24. So and the system continues to learn. So it's now it's at the level of, you know, we have like, you know, 10,000 ratings of balls and but on precise data again. So that helps us. And now it's a data, basically, it's a data engine. So the more we will have, the more the system will continue to learn. And the one thing, of course, we uh, already know better, let's say, than the industry in general, because of that customer feedback loop is these clusters. So we have, you know, we can literally divide the world in different tastes. And I will tell you one thing which is surprising. The the tests we have done in Europe give about the same results as in the U.S., uh, as opposed to what everybody would think. That's amazing. So when you give people wine in Europe, are you able to give them wine without sulfites? Because I know every wine in the U.S. has sulfites in it. Well, this is a U.S. business for now. And, you know, shipping rules, and this is another part of what is really interesting with wine, very different than anything else, and why these type of problems haven't been solved, because it's regulations of alcohol and everything else. It's basically everything what is 
put in front of you is generally a bad deal besides the taste matching. So basically when you go randomly for a $60 bottle, uh, it happens very often, which you just mentioned before. So it's only US-based for now. We just did tests in Europe. Obviously a lot of people in Europe want that too, also because of the discovery factor. And also because it's actually where my idea came from in the, in the first place, because I was very knowledgeable in French wines, which I have a big diversity, but doesn't have it all. You know, French wines represent maybe 30% of what is available in the world. It might have diversity in europe there's going to be a different way but it's 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 only addressed to you to us uh, people for now well if you need elizabeth and i to test any wine and build help you build any data we will fly to greece <laughs> and help at any time so let us know <laughs> i think nicholas has plenty of people willing to do that right that's not the first time you've heard that i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> we, we we send bottles and tastings every day so that's my pleasure well it'd be a good excuse to come to greece well let's just say that because i'm in greece right now but right <laughs> In, in two weeks for sure so you said it was is it subscription based well it's both so uh, the basic thing is to say it's better subscription based so you don't have to take care anymore about your wine purchasing it's basically just parameter on the app your price point the number of bottles and frequency you can change it anytime it's super simple and flexible and then the ip chooses wines and you get a you know a new box every two months or whatever from from what you've chosen and so a lot of people do that because at some point they trust us and we see the ratings go up. By the way, I can tell you uh, the technology works because the ratings go up 30% on average once we know a little bit more about your taste. And after, and the process continues to learn. The more you have uh, wines, the more you rate them, and the more, of course, we know about your taste and we, and we teach you more. We teach you all the secondary, the scriptures, et cetera. So the second way to buy is simply the, what we call the Netflix mode is a percentage of match of on every bottle towards your taste. So if you want to choose the bottles, you can do so, but you're guided by the percentage of match for every bottle to your taste. Sounds like a great business. How are you promoting this? We are not promoting it the old fashioned uh, internet way. I'm, you know, I'm a 20 year plus e-commerce entrepreneur, so I'm always trying new ways. This is an experiential and also social uh, type of uh, experiment so what we what we're doing right now is we're building our ambassador program and ambassadors host tastings you can host the tasting too but basically they host virtual tastings and also in-person tastings or corporate tastings or whatever is available depending on the pandemic level right so uh, this is the best way for us because consumers then have the experience they understand the product and this is when usually they subscribe so and we are looking of course we do word of mouth and we have a lot of partners and typical affiliations and things like that and we're looking for many Many different modes. I think as soon as the right type of people are in front of the product, they love it. Once they try it, they love it even more. So they, you know, we have a very strong retention on the product. So yeah, it's there's, there's many ways, but we don't do like Google ads or Facebook ads because we're then in the middle of you know the crowd and all people. There's so many people selling wine on the internet, which are you know playing on the consumer ignorance. Uh, I'm sorry to say that, but it's full of marketing gimmicks and bad wine, uh, bulk wine, which people just slap their label on and then sell it. They sell it with a high margin and whatever. People, some people fall for that, and we don't we don't want to be compared to that. So very, very smart. So what do your ambassadors get in return for having these wine tastings? Well, they get a lot of wine perks to start oh. with. And, <laughs> Sounds and, attractive. <laughs> and they, yeah, they have to be, they can be trained by us a little bit, but they have to have, you know, some kind of at least wine love and a little bit like uh, being influencers and things like that, having some social followers, etc. And they get commissions on whatever is, you know, uh, the, the recurring number of people which came through them, and they can get different levels of ambassadorship. So uh, it can be actually very good as a side job for whatever ex-sommelier or even someone who just loves wine and is capable of, you know, understanding this. And once, you know, a second, like a, a little bit more money by doing actually a fun thing. So, um, of course, there's a little bit of work because you need to organize tastings. But uh, that's um, uh, we, we have all the technology and all the app is, is, is prepared for that. So it's pretty easy. Well, personally, I think this is brilliant because how many times have you seen it doesn't really matter how much the wine costs a lot of times, like you like what you like, right? Although I, I notice a difference in the more high-end wines that Richard and I occasionally drink. But if it's a $1,000 bottle of wine and you don't like it, 
right? Yeah, well, the, the real big thing is between $20 and $50 because this is where wines can be very good, but not perfect, but they're also very different, right? So the double curation we are providing is basically we go to artisan winemakers, those who have actually are not very well distributed, usually small productions, usually organic as well, and sustainable farming, all these things which we want to promote as well uh, with healthiness with wine uh, as well. I, I didn't talk too much about that, but this is a very big uh, factor in our brand. And the second step, of course, is the taste matching. So you basically get the best of both worlds. And it's completely different than if you go in a store and you buy that, you know, regular brand, which has been pushed by all the middlemen who has squeezed out the maximum margin to you. And that is unfortunately how 95% of the wines are sold in the US so far. But uh, we intend to change that, obviously. Excellent. It's palateclub.com. If you enjoy drinking wine, but you don't enjoy every wine you've ever drunk, <laughs> well, this will help you with that experience. So you are listening to Passage to Profit, the Inventor Show with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart, our special co-host, Coach Kenya Gibson of iHeart today. And we will be right back after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application, that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. Richard on vacation. Kenya Gibson filling in for him from iHeart. If you're just tuning in to the radio for this, uh, don't worry. The podcast comes out tomorrow and you can check out some of our other podcasts too. But we just had a really great show and <laughs> a way for kids to self-soothe and a way for adults to self-soothe. And we had Alex from Podmatch talking about being on podcasts and creating podcasts. So to recap, Alex Sanfilippo, he is the founder of Podmatch and his website is podmatch.com. So if you want to find out more about him, go to his site. After that, we had Christian John Coppa with Wonder Gray, W-O-N-D-E-R-G-R-A-D-E.com. Just an amazing app that helps kids get through difficult emotional situations and helps their parents help them through that with techniques and tried and true things and just really geared towards kids. It's really wonderful. It's getting amazing traction. And then we had Nicholas Manderha with palateclub.com, P-A-L-A-T-E-C-L-U-B.com. If you want to drink wine that you like and you want your own AI assistant to help you figure that out, <laughs> he is using artificial intelligence to help people get the right wines for them. And of course, we had Kenya Gibson, Gibson with the P, Kenya Gibson at iHeartMedia.com who talked about Power Move. And this is all sponsored by Gearheart Law, Richard Gearheart's law firm. And you can find us in New Jersey, but we do work worldwide. So thank you for listening. And before we go, though, we wanted to ask Alex if he had any final thoughts on the show. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for that. Christy and John, love what you're doing. You're taking care of the future generations. And that is something I'm super passionate about. So I love that. Nicholas, who isn't passionate about wine and me building a platform using AI, you doing the same thing. I love the application you have there. It's some really cool stuff. And for everyone listening, I just want to say there's the old saying, right? You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And today you've been hanging out with some really high level people. So this was inspiring to me to continue to get out there and, and invent. And I hope it did the same for you. And to everyone here today and who's listening, when you've got that thing, start getting on some podcast or start one because I believe it's a great way to spread that message. Elizabeth and Coach Kenya, thank you again for having me. Oh, it was our pleasure. And we would like to thank our producer, Noah Fleischman at iHeart. We used to be in the studio with him, but he actually turns us into something that can be on iHeart Radio, which has pretty high standards. So thank you, Noah. And our video editor, Chatterboss, and all the iHeart team. Thanks again and have a wonderful week, everybody. 
we will be back next week with more wonderful guests and presenters. Passage to Profit, The Inventor Show on WOR 710, The Voice of New York. 